welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. I'm Randy. And I am Mike. And we are your co-hosts for The Dice Are Screaming podcast. Welcome. It's Friday, and it means that the weekend is upon us, so I hope you have some good gaming, as always, lined up. And if not, well, you can listen to us, and maybe we can be the awkward handshake of gaming. No, no, no. Uh, you, you, You know... We're we're constantly changing. Uh, oh, today okay. we're the lonely emo of oh. gaming podcasts. Oh, the sad emo of gaming podcasts. Indeed. That's okay though. Yeah, we land on our feet. Well, it's been a wild and woolly week, so we're going to get right to some content goodness from the OSR and also from old school gaming topics. We've got a good one lined up for you tonight. Hope you'll enjoy. Yeah, and you know, this is this is not material that is exclusive to uh, older versions of the game. It is absolutely things that have been incorporated in multiple editions. So I, I think there's still some mileage left on these treads. You oh know, yeah, can... there's plenty of <clears throat> tread left on that tire. But first... We have a call in Ooh. from Jeremy Smith. Rasa. Yep. Uh, how is that pronounced? Froth soft. Froth soft. What? Neat. Yes, Jeremy Smith calling in. Frequent caller now on the Dice Screen podcast. Yes. So we'll... And by the way, having heard the message, uh, don't worry about that. We're happy to get a call in. Period, man. Uh, That's right. It's rare that we have call in, so we always. Get excited. So call in. We enjoy every single one. We do. And thank you. So without further ado, take it away, Jeremy. What's up, y'all? It's Froth. I know I call in a lot. I hope I'm not annoying y'all, but uh, I love the Fiend Folio episode. Uh, So good. And uh, it made me think about, you can kind of date when certain modules came out because they would, you know, use the Fiend Folio monsters. So it's like in the... uh, Forgotten Temple of Therisden, like you get there and it's like a thousand Norkers come out at you. <laughs> so it just made me laugh about that when y'all are talking about the Norker. The other thing I wanted to add too is um, the Fiend Folio out of all the monster books has amazing random tables, like awesome. So well done. And then you get to the Monster Manual too, and they're terrible. They're like not even numbered. And, um, but, you know, Monster Manual 2 had a chance to have the greatest random tables of all, but blew it. But um, anyway, really enjoyed it, as always. Take it easy. And thank you for that and those kind words. Yes, the Fiend Folio definitely had some bitchin' encounter tables. Oh, it did. It huh. really put everything together from the uh, first edition Monster Manual and uh, combined well with the new material in the Fiend Folio and... Yeah, Monster Manual 2 did drop the ball. Uh, You were just talking about that. Yeah, you know, it brought up an interesting point that they had seen it done with the Fiend Folio, so there's really no excuse for not having put the extra effort in and fused better tables and charts that, you know, comprehensively included everything that was possible. Uh, It could have been done, and... They just dropped the ball and said, nah, you know, we're going to... But I don't hate the Monster Manual, too. I, I certainly liked the uh, the hellish politics. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed a lot of the monsters because there there were a lot of them that I've made great use of over the years. Uh, and I think in some respects, the monster content was a little more balanced than Fiend Folio. 
Oh yeah, true. true. There were some positive encounters, creatures and things that you might run into that were not unilaterally your enemy or, you know, that didn't necessarily view you as food. Uh, so it was a terrific, useful book, but it it did not live up to its potential. Uh, they they probably should have just put the extra homework in. Yeah. And, you know, to touch a little bit on the Pinfolio, uh, something I forgot to mention was the uh, Expressive Illustrations by Russ Nicholson. Throughout oh. it. Yeah, the, the artwork in that was really good. Like the, the Crypt thing and uh, several of the other monsters, uh, like Dark Stalkers and Dark Creepers and all that. You know, yeah, it was really brung alive by a lot of those evocative illustrations. So, uh, yeah, next to Trampier, I think that guy had a lot going on. It's really hard stuff to describe. You know, we're we're doing a podcast, not a live stream, so we we can't actually just like, you know, flash the edition and and show them off. But there was some quality artwork in that Fiendfolio. It was just really impressive stuff. Yeah, it had a grim, gritty atmosphere pretty much most of the time. Oh yeah. Definitely. Much, much less cheerful than the Monster Manual 1. I think it was coined as grubby fantasy. So, which yeah, went yeah. into Warhammer uh, fantasy roleplay. But uh, we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah. But uh, thank you for the kind words, Mr. Smith. And uh, as always, you're welcome to call in as many times as you like. And uh, as that session of our podcast is done, we're going to turn right into topic. And tonight's topic, not to keep you in any more suspense... We're going to talk about the Underdark. Yes. Uh, there, there is nothing more dungeony than going beneath the Earth, where basically the whole planet is now your dungeon. Yeah. Uh, the entire Under-Earth ecology becomes your weapon of choice against your player characters. Although, we're, we are going to touch on uh, handling it with kid gloves going in, because there's some stuff in the Underdark that is not for the faint of heart. You, you may wish to level up your party before they, they attempt this. Yeah, and uh, more to the point, uh, when you use the Underdark, um, you're literally kind of combining the wilderness adventure with uh, our typical dungeon, but rather than just a constructed passageways and all sorts of uh, tricks and traps that have been prepared and uh, readied for the adventurers to arrive into the meat grinder, the Underdark is a wilderness, and it is desolate, and it is hard to navigate. First of all, you need lots of light. Um, if you have normally human adventurers, they're going to need continual light sources, which, of course, by the spell, is easy enough to come by. So there are a lot of things that do not like light. And, of course, uh, it's hard to be subtle when a giant glowing orb is flying over your head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bear that in mind. It's not, it's not a disadvantage to the DM. No. So, darkness is kind of the weather, so to speak, of the Underdark. But how do you get into the Underdark? Cavern instability. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. You know, water intrusion, underground lakes, lava. Lava. Red hot lava. The floor is lava. The floor is lava. Get out while you can. Stay out of the fire, stay out of the fire, get out of the fire. There's lots of stuff in the Underdark that isn't just... We're walking down a stone hallway for eight days. You know, it does not have to be that. It can be a romper room of crazy uh, conditions and difficult passageways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to mention, (laughs) 
<laughs> That's not even including, we haven't even started on critters you can throw in their way. Right, and it kind of the started out with the preface is that, how do you get into the Underdark? Well, of course you can find any cavern that leaves there, but a lot of dungeons down deep have entryways into the Underdark that have been manufactured or perhaps uh, the denizens of the Underdark have crept in. Now, uh, to start out with, uh, our first introduction to the Underdark properly in Dungeons & Dragons is through the um, D1 and 2 uh, in Descent into the Earth, and uh, that kind of sets the tone, and I think it predominates a lot of people's idea that Drow are primarily the main forces in the Underdark, which is absolutely not true. There are many things that dwell down in there, and most of them are hostile, as you were touching earlier. Yeah, we had a little conversation on this to, to start off with, where yeah. uh, just <clears throat> anthropologically, there is something about the way in which human mythology about creatures dwelling deep, deep beneath the earth almost uniformly drift into the neutral or evil category uh, in our allegorical stories, uh, our, our myths of ancient times, uh, the deeper something dwelt, uh, the more scary it was. Mm -hmm. the, the less human its reactions were, the crueler and more distant it was. Uh, and there's just something about, you know, things that dwell away from the light of the sun uh, almost connotes an automatic uh, rejection of normal human values, the, the things that we look at as, well, this is fair, and this is okay, and this is right, and this is wrong. You won't be finding a lot of that in the Underdark. No, and uh, to kind of touch on the construction principle here of the dungeon, you know, uh, is a construct made in order to facilitate the dwelling deep under the earth, but uh, the Underdark takes it to a whole new level. And it combines a lot of things of wilderness travel, because there are great expanses that have to be traversed in order to get to one place to another. And unlike navigating on the surface world, where if you don't know which way is north, you could easily get lost. And then the Underdark, well, you're just wandering around, unless you know exactly where you're going. Yeah, if you don't have a pre-provided map, and you're just hoping for the best, uh, boy, welcome to the Thunderdome, kid. Yep. And uh, there's no DM reason for just giving them. You're like... Oh, it's down the passage to the left. No, let him hunt. No. Uh, and in the meanwhile, as they're hunting, uh, you've got your random encounter table full of purple worms and <laughs> ropers, umber hulks, gugs, all kinds of Zorn. Things. Yep, Zorn, Gellidur, Peck, uh, sort of Neblin. Yep, and those are the uh, the Gellidur and Zorn and uh, Peck and Neblin are about the nicest guys you're going to meet. Yeah, that's, that's some of the pleasant denizens. Uh, less pleasant, of course, are the Dwergar and... Oh, uh, Darrow. Yeah, the Darrow. Uh, all of whom are uh, pretty keen on, you know, like, Ah, humans, kill a fresh meat. Yeah, especially the Darrow. Um, so, you know, when you go into Wilderness Encounter, normally you would rely heavily on the Druid and the Ranger, and, you know, they can still be... Uh, good to have along in a party, but uh, in this case, it kind of shifts a little bit. This is where your dwarves and gnomes kind of shine a little bit more. And, uh, you know, other than the dwarves talking about, you know, mead halls and stone walls, here's where a lot of their uh, intrinsic characteristics start to come into play. Their stone crafting and uh, stone lore 
do really come in handy in navigating a dangerous area in the Underdark, since they're somewhat well-versed, or better-versed than some of the other surface dwellers like owls. Yeah, and I mean, and to make a special note, you know, remember that uh, while orcs and goblins are not unfamiliar, uh, they're... The goblinoid races are almost all uh, cave dwellers who are near enough to the surface to get out and raid. You know, yeah. They're, they're peripheral. Um, in fact, you know, you could find a blocked up entrance to the Underdark at the bottom of a big orc or hobgoblin lair with a bunch mm -hmm. of warning signs scribbled all over it. Do not open! Yeah. Bad! <laughs> Terrible things down there. Yeah, and so you really have to uh, gauge where your party's at before you start an Underdark journey. Now, sure enough, you can start any time you want, but it's advisable that they have a few levels under their belt, preferably about fifth, maybe sixth level before they really start a serious excursion into the Underdark. Yeah, I would, I would think that a cautious DM could manage to not wipe out a party uh, if they scale the encounters uh, in size and strength uh, according to, you know, something that can meet their party's interest without absolutely flattening them. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be done. First and second levelers, on the other hand, oh, it's, it gets really challenging because you're like, okay, uh, uh, well, the, the Cabold Lair is, is pretty expansive. <laughs> yeah, and... But that's not true Underdark. You, you get any deeper than that, and you're in, uh, you're in serious trouble. This is not a place a party wants to be after when the lights go out. Yeah. And so the party has to be well prepared for a Underdark excursion, more so than a dungeon delve. So, you know, because you're going to be dealing with monsters like, well, beholders are not, well, they're not frequent. They are a regular hazard that enough that even the normal denizens of the Underdark understand well the consequences of running half-long into a beholder or roper. Yeah, likewise, the Elithids, the Mind Flayers. Yeah. Uh, these are underdark dwellers, hated by all, which, not without good reason. I yeah. Mean, nobody likes a brain eater. I no. Just <laughs> Especially that considers all of their intelligent life beneath it. <laughs> uh, a drow tasked me once. I ate his brain with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> yeah, scary. Uh, elithids are bad news for everybody, especially since uh, most people like their brains unscrambled by psionic blast. But in every edition of the game, you know, that's a characteristic Dungeons and Dragons monster that is yeah. not for small fry. It is, it is definitely a strong parties only encounter. Yep, and you also have denizens that are strange and unique to the Underdark, some uh, more prevalent than others. Troglodytes and bugbears are still pretty common fodder for those type of uh, monster-slaying fests that you can find. Uh, for instance, D1 had a huge area of uh, troglodytes and some bugbear mercenaries employed by the drow. But, uh, you know, you also run into the Koatoa. Ah, yeah, the crazy fish people. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. Uh, that is slowly degenerating into collective insanity. Uh, and the crazy lobster goddess. <laughs> blip dool poop. Yeah, blip dool -do blip. Oh, yeah, whatever. Blip dool poop. Yeah, something like not to be pronounced by human lips. But uh, 
yeah, uh, we got a look of a new monster in there, which is indicative of the uh, Underdark, is there's a lot of things that aren't known. Yeah, it just, just by virtue of the fact that they're not things people normally encounter. Uh, I'm actually fairly fond of expanding on or re-envisioning existing threats, uh, especially in, like, subterranean caverns that are, like, half lake with stalactites and stalactites. Mm -hmm. All right, sure, you got your piercers. Everybody expects that. Uh, but using the crystalline ooze, you know, the oh, yeah. translucent in water. <laughs> and chrismals and well, crystal caverns. Yeah, you know, where player characters are trying to, uh, you know, either wade through or cross an area of water and a huge crystal ooze goes after them. Not nice, but, you know, that's your DM for you right there. Right, and, you know, you might have monstrous uh, black puddings of immense size. Oh, yeah, areas of green slime that, you know, pretty much mean the party either has to fireball the whole region at the risk of bringing down the, the rooftop, or bypass and go some other route that the DM has already stocked with something more troublesome. Yeah, and unlike a typical hex crawl where, you know, you just want to go this direction or that direction, um, you know, the, you have to keep careful track of maps, you know, primary, tertiary, and uh, secondary passages are, of course, uh, always open to exploration. Some are easier navigable than others, and especially the ones that are easily navigable are probably going to be full of nasty encounters. Oh, and there's just an endless array of weirdness provided by multiple monster manuals and past uh, published adventures. Uh, I was always fond of the Myconids, the yep. uh, from the Slaver series uh, A4 in the Dungeon of the Slave Lords. Those, well, I mean, they're not necessarily hostile per se, but the player characters don't know that going in. So you can wind up getting all stabby with them, but if, welcome to Magical Mushrooms. <laughs> oh boy. It's getting dosed with psychedelics. Like, oh man, still seeing tracers from that last cavern raid. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, no, it, it's totally within the DM's purview to just stock things top-heavy with the weird and unusual that you never get to use. Right, and myconids, you know, they're not necessarily friendly because they do grow more myconids from decaying organic matter. <laughs> Which, certainly, the party qualifies as future decaying organic matter. <laughs> but uh, it's not without reason that uh, with some caution and careful diplomacy that you could make good contact with them and even find a safe haven for a while. And that's what you're kind of looking for when you design these encounters, is that, you know, sometimes random encounters can happen, and, you know, yeah, after a while you kind of, I'm going to roll one more Roper encounter, I'm going to scream. Yeah, there's a lot of Underdark uh, plant life down there that, again, while the Druids and Rangers do not play as heavy a role as they would in, for instance, a forest, they are not useless. No, absolutely uh, not. When it comes to the provisioning of a party uh, and be communicating with strange plants and animals, uh, you know, they're still in their bailiwick, so they're, they're not useless. But you're right. Uh, dwarves, gnomes, they really get a leg up at this point. Right? Yeah, they really uh, show their... Uh, this is not a stable up. cavern. I yep. think we should uh, detour around this. I smoke gas. Why is my torch burning blue? <laughs> Run! <laughs> Hit the deck. Yeah, so there's a lot of hazards, and of course the Dungeoneer Survival Guide 
uh, from first edition fame uh, really put that out there. And oh, also, yeah. there's a lot of uh, good, you know, a lot of sometimes you may be uh, stuck for ideas, um, like Shadow Dragons would find a perfect home in the Underdark. Oh, very, especially in the, the deeper reaches. And if you're inclined to read H.P. Lovecraft's work, you know, it could not uh, <laughs> hurt to put some encounters with a, with Gugs or uh, a Shogoth. Ah, yeah. All right, that's classic material right there. And what better place than so far deep beneath the earth that, you know, uh, few and far between of the surface dwellers who have ever even contemplated going this way. Yeah. Uh, what better place to put, like, servants of the deep old ones? Uh, that's a nice combo. And we can't forget the ever-present Aboleth. Oh. In oh, those underground lakes. My least favorite creature. Uh, uh, just slimy. Yeah, just gross. A, a truly grotesque creature laying there in a pool. Of slime. Yeah, of slime with its uh, slime-coated, mind-wiped servants. Ugh. Yeah, find a whole city of those. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. <laughs> Makes Vault of the Drow look like an expedition into Teletubby land. Yeah, it, it, they are positively unpleasant. Uh, just taking everybody over and, now they're my servants. Scrub harder. Get between the folds. Yeah. Ugh. Nobody wants to wind up as an Abolith servant. Yeah, and uh, also taking a leg up from other games, uh, Call of Cthulhu has its share of Underdark adventures as well. Uh, the Chthonians, the big uh, intelligent, sadistic worms, oh, and yes. the Ligor are uh, ever-present in the Underdark of the Call of Cthulhu mythos and can easily be transplanted into... Uh, the D&D mythos. Pathfinder's done that well. Do not want to find yourself in the presence of Ligor. <laughs> It'd rather not be noticed at that point. I do want to touch on something. The ecology of under-earth adventuring. Uh, in eh, Maybe not so much the ecology as the uh, sociology. The, the relationship between the various competing creatures. You know, mm -hmm. you can have underdark turf wars, uh, areas where there's a bone of contention between two very large tribes. Uh, and honestly, if your player characters are open to it, uh, it doesn't have to be, oh, great, two tribes we got to annihilate. It can be... Uh, you know, help one against the other, or Ronin-style, uh, play both ends against the middle and try to destroy both of them and come out on top. Yeah, true. There are lots of room for politics, even though they're far away from home. It's just a different faces, but the same game. Yeah. I always liked populating Underdark campaigns with competing forces uh, and territorial disputes and... Uh, claims on valuable turf, uh, not to mention, or just the most classic trope of all time. Uh, Although we despise outsiders, our village has been beset with a problem. You are expendable to us. We will reward you handsomely if you solve it. You know, and yeah, I mean, it, it's right out of every video game you've ever seen, and it's in those games for a reason. It's a great classic trope. Yeah, you know, you can ally with the pet and the uh, Snurfavlin to annihilate, say, a troublesome threat like from the Illithid, or even get help from Avalith and the Koatoan to fight Drow. 
yeah. they're being pushed upon. You know, using their rivalries, which are pre-existing, uh, you know, their firm rivalries predate the arrival of the player characters. So, you know, that's something that can be taken advantage of. You're like, okay, you have a place in this. Not much of one, and they really don't like you, and they might very well betray you at the first instance, but you're useful, and that means that it doesn't have to degenerate into instantaneous attack. Uh, so that that's a nice moral quandary. You may not want to throw that one at a party with a paladin. I am not working for an Avaleth. Well, you know, yeah, sometimes it can be uh, troublesome, but, uh, you know, in the end, uh, serving the greater good is always the better part of discretion when it comes to the Code of Paladins. Um, but, you know, the big thing with the Underdark is is that you're in an alien environment, um, not unlike outer space, where you're a stranger. And this is inner space, where instead of having a wide open expanse, you know, very confined, almost a claustrophobic environment in which the player characters have to navigate, survive, and find small areas to rest and recuperate between their battles with the constant denizens of the Underdark. It's true, it's hard to get a good night's rest when you are surrounded by enemies. Uh, not to mention enhanced encounter rates for mm -hmm. unfamiliar locations. And You're there with a bright light and the whole world knows you're there. This is the place where everything underground can hear what's going on a half a mile away. They all got, like, whale sonar going. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, but, no, you, you have this enormous opportunity in an Underdark campaign uh, to stretch your wings a little and use a lot more imagination. And it's one of the things that's always appealed to me. I just, I just used this uh, in the last few adventures of a personal campaign that's been going on for about three years. And... There were what was called the Underroad. Uh, and it was basically a dwarven-built concept of, like, clear, well-secured pathways from place to place. And, I mean, that's a pretty standard concept. Uh, but I had just explained in campaign that they had just now been opened up for use and trade again for the first time in centuries, only to have them broken into by something from below. Uh, and the player characters found themselves uh, embroiled in a dispute between various Underdark creatures uh, and kind of not exactly in the employ of, but certainly allied with, like, some unexpected allies, uh, a Darrow community that was particularly hard hit by the depredations of uh, a group of uh, outsiders mm -hmm. and the, you know shoe on the other foot their people were being captured and transformed into servants uh, and they didn't really learn any lessons here they're still evil and don't care but they're willing to pay people in gems like get it done whoever has done this free our people kill them uh, well, they'll have to threaten me with a good time yeah so you know player characters to the rescue uh, of all things, bailing out a large quantity of Darrow, who, not exactly thankful, but, you know, with the the caveat, we'll close the door behind you, don't let it hit you in the butt on the way out. Uh, here's your payday, go away, and let's not meet again. And, eh, 
you know, it made a good brief excursion into the Underdark with competing tribes. Well, never can trust those Darrow Savons. Yeah, you're not a kid in there. Huh. But, uh, you know, more to the point, when you go in there uh, and you want to use or highlight just one creature or two, that makes a very good, uh, you know, community, uh, communities to uh, brush up against or highlight. You can do uh, more than just uh, make them s simply a small lair to kill. Or an XP farm, if you want to break it down to murder hobos. <laughs> Thank you, Clement Clyde. Yeah, that's how they'd see it, probably. They're, they're the kind of cats who are just, you know, why are you leaving XPs on the hoof? We'll have to, we'll have to give them a ramble sometime. Let them tell a few yarns. Yeah, about their Underdark Adventures. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of good stuff. And when you decide to go and crack open your Dungeoneer Survival Guide or any other type, uh, don't be afraid to incorporate some other material because the Underdark is one of those places where weird stuff can happen. And Community of Morlocks. For those who do not have it, uh, you know, the Dungeoneer Survival Guide, uh, I, I am going to say if you don't have a lot of first edition materials, if you're principally working on the uh, 3.0, 3.5, uh, or... Uh, 5th edition uh, and other releases, this is material that can be salvaged. The concepts can all be harvested from these older books. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do give them a read. They're totally worth it. Uh, yeah, and like I said, the uh, the whole idea, you know, you can have a lost uh, city underneath there, a la the uh, Sinedians, I think, as I've been uh, corrected on their pronounced, truly pronounced name from the lost city. Uh, you know, they had that lost city sealed under the dark, so deep in the earth. That can be a thing, too, you know, and uh, burning into things like uh, the Morlocks, besides just Grimlocks. <laughs> you know, that's good. Uh, that's always a good place for them to dwell. But, uh, you know, let us know what uh, your Underdark adventures have entailed. And, uh, of course, you know, classic drow. Never wrong with having a drow encounter. Oh, yeah. I, look, when you're... Finally, up to higher level player characters, uh, it's okay to take the gloves off and let the bad guys out. Because, look, honestly, your player characters may have the levels backing them up, okay? And they may have the killer saving throws. But how many poisoned crossbow bolts in a row can they take? And, it, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to roll a four, okay? <laughs> it's going to happen uh, if you just pepper them. Uh, not to mention all those crazy bonus magic items on the drow. It makes for a great climactic fight. So I, I personally like uh, holding off on the drow for a campaign ending level stuff where you're fighting the really dangerous opponents. Oh, yeah. But they're can, smart and organized. They are, but they're no different than the illithid. And if you're facing a few illithid here or there, a small outpost of them, you know, drow are not uh, uh, <laughs> too out of the, the ordinary. Well, not all of them have to be the uh, house-level matriarchs and uh, servants. But, uh, you know, just a uh, scouting party or rogue merchant group, or random merchant group. But, yeah, let us know what you think about this episode, or if you have any comments or questions or something you'd like to add, feel free to give us a call. Or just drop by on Twitter or on our Facebook group, The Dice Are Screaming, and uh, let us know what you think about this episode or anything you'd like to see. We're going to keep coming at you. This is our 60th episode, so we appreciate you sticking around. And hope you enjoyed this episode, but I think that is it for our time. So we're going to wind it down with a... Ah, yeah. May the dice, dice always roll in, in your, your favor. favor. We're out. <laughs>
See ya.